Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scram, the podcast that takes you right into the hub of the Scottish culinary scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this bonus episode, we have something a bit different for you. I'm going to take you through some of the best bits from the podcast so far, from outtakes and day trips to funny moments and themed episodes, we've got it all. First up, working from home has made us all adapt to a new way of working and sometimes it can have its challenges. Here are some unheard outtakes of what you don't hear from before interviews begin. And for good reason, may I add. When I interviewed James Weathers of Scotland Food and Drink, I had to do a bit of technical prep before the interview began. Hello, James Weathers. Hi, James. It's Rosalind from The Scotsman. Hi, Rosalind. How are you doing? Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. It's just I've got so many wires and things coming out my phone. It's a bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) Is now okay just to have a quick chat with you for the podcast? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no problem. Okay, um, let me just get a, a blanket over my head. I know, I'm so glad that we're, uh, I can, I'm at home and no one can see me. <laughs> <laughs> I also enlightened Blair Bowman about my glamorous home recording setup. I'm sure this is recording. I'm, I'm actually under a blanket, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Does that help with the sound or something? Um, yeah, apparently so, but it just means that I'm waiting for the dog to start barking manically at me because I, <laughs> cause I'm being weird. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't um, have known. I wouldn't have known. Well, that's good. I'm glad no one can see me. If this was getting filmed, it would be really boring. <laughs> and sometimes my dog likes to make an appearance on the podcast. Um, well, thank you, um, Jay and Kit, for being my guests today. Um, it's a really interesting chat about rum. It's certainly learned a lot from my point of view. Um, and yeah, sorry, my dog just yawned. <laughs> That's what that noise was. <laughs> sorry, Bell, you've been making me yawn. Oh, I was just thinking about today, like he's not actually made a noise during the podcast yet and he's just done it. <laughs> and some of our podcasts haven't been without their false starts. Former food and drink editor Sean Murphy's breathing certainly didn't go unnoticed. Hello and welcome to Scran, a podcast. Sorry, I can't stop laughing at that. Super, that is the wee cut out for the start of this episode. <laughs> You're breathing in the background. Okay, sorry. Hello and welcome to Scran. I also had some difficulty keeping a straight face when recording with Caitlin Dewar, the entertainment and arts reporter for the Edinburgh Evening News. This time we seemed to catch each other's eye. <laughs> sorry, I just caught you. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Hello and welcome to Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. In a pre-COVID world, I ventured far and wide. On the first ever episode of Scran, I visited Edinburgh's Christmas market to see what was on offer from vendors. Here is my chat with Baba from the Glue Vine Stall. Hi, Roz here at Edinburgh's Christmas Market and we're standing next to a lovely smelling Christmas tree. Uh, you can hear the Christmas songs in the background. It's early December so the crowds have started to pick up doing their Christmas shopping. The lights are all on, it is extremely festive. You can see the big wheel is going as usual as you'd expect. We are here today to find out what the food and drink offering is at the Christmas Market. So 
my name is Babette. Hi. Hi, and what stall are we at just now? I'm in the German market, German market part. I'm in the Yaga Hut. We are a bar. And what are you selling most of this Christmas? Um, we sell mold wine, mold cider, and hot chocolate. Our most popular drink is, I think, mold wine. But people really like a mold cider with a extra shot of spice rum. <laughs> Typical Scotland. Yeah. And it's working here. Have you worked here a long time, or is this your first? This market? is my first market here. Enjoying it? Yeah, it's really nice. People here are really different from my country. And whereabouts are you from? I'm from Hungary. Hungary, from the south part of Hungary. Yeah, there's blue vine is really good. <laughs> um, blue vine, or the blue vine that you sell, is that where does that come from? Our blue vine is from Germany because this is a German market. Um, but it's traditional drink in Hungary too and in Germany, yeah. How many uh, glasses of blue vine do you think you would sell on a busy day, maybe on a weekend? A lot, really a lot, like more than a thousand, maybe. A lot of blue vine, yeah, people like it. <laughs> And it does it put you in the Christmas spirit? Um, well, at first it put me in a really good Christmas spirit, but then I got tired of Michael Bublé. <laughs> and what now seems like about five years ago, I visited the buffalo farm back in January and spoke to farmer Stephen Mitchell. Whilst there, I saw some buffalo in their natural habitat. Let's just say they're a friendly bunch. Okay, so we're up with the buffaloes just now, and uh, I have a really stupid question, which is, well, more like an observation, which is, <laughs> they look a lot like, they look more like cows than I would have thought. Well, yeah, no, they, they, they do from, especially from a distance, but obviously they've got... Uh, these big horns, um, but obviously cows can have big horns too. Um, I think little subtle differences that always surprise people. Uh, anyone who's been up close to a cow and been licked by a cow will know that they've got extremely rough tongues. It's almost like sandpaper, whereas a buffalo's tongue smooth. Okay. Um, and buffalo. Um, cows lose a tooth every year, um, whereas a buffalo don't, so they, they keep their they, they keep their teeth a lot longer. So, nice. which makes them probably one of the reasons that they live a lot longer than cows and will keep breeding for a lot longer. Uh, they're all basically surrounded us. They're very nosy animals. Yeah, yeah. I think they like their perfume actually. That's that's what's drawn them to you. They're um, massive. Well, these are just these are not fully grown these are just heifers we're hoping some of these guys can uh, be although we do tend to bring in a, a foundation of new milking buffalo we do hope that some of these guys will uh, step up to the, not up to the plate because that would be a bad pun uh, but up, up, up to the, 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 the they're going to produce lots of milk so um, yeah these are heifers which we've just put with a bull he's hiding lying down he's not showing much interest Come here, son. Come on. Come on. Here he comes. Oh, you see him? Yeah. <laughs> so this is Heineken. He's having a big stretch. <laughs> He's a beautiful beast, eh? Yeah. You see his horns are just that bit chunkier and bigger. Yeah. He's, again, not any way what I described. Really, he'll keep growing. Um, so he's... Heineken will be just over three, but okay. the bulls do keep growing. Come on, son. Come and see me. <laughs> Come here. He's having a good sniff of uh, <laughs> rear end of one of the girls, <laughs> too, obviously. Come on. He's now... I won't tell you what he's doing, because he's licking his pee at the moment. All right. <laughs> 
before you go to the fete of November. Alright, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, boy. Come on. One of my favourite guests was Glen Goyne's whiskey experiential ambassador, Gordon Dallas. He was a real character and clearly loves his job. On my visit to the distillery, he shared some exciting tales that occurred in Mugdock Park many years ago when Scotland's illegal whisky trade was in full swing. As part of that immersive experience, and I've mentioned this earlier, how Glengoyne has been linked to the rapid rise of Glasgow as an industrial powerhouse through violent vagabonds and Victorian entrepreneurs to modern day pirates. What can you tell us about that That whole... Yeah, it's it's one of the first, first things I'll say. I mean, Glengoyne, you cannot talk about the rise of Glengoyne without talking about the rise of Glasgow. It's 14 miles away. And as it grows and gets bigger, so does this distillery or it was a farm first really the late 18th century is when Glasgow starts to take take shape and uh, we have evidence of people from the campses feeding the demand that's coming out of Glasgow um, I don't know if you've ever been to Mungduck Country Park. I have, yeah, I walked my dog there. So do I, so do I. I'll give a shout out to Jesse. In the course of this research um, there was a, a book written by a local minister who talked about the Battle of Mugdut Woods. It was a place of illicit, not only distillation, but smuggling. And tonight we'll talk about how you, if you wanted to get your spirit to Glasgow, you could do it yourself, but you could meet some violent criminal types in Mugdut country wood, and they would take your spirit into Glasgow for you, for a cut. And of course, they would maybe water it down and they would. But they were pretty violent and they took on the soldiers in 1818, the Battle of Mugdut Wood, which I hadn't heard about until I did my research. And not only did these smugglers, these violent gangsters from Glasgow, beat the soldiers, but they chased them out of Mugdut Wood. We don't know what became of the soldiers, but it wouldn't have been pleasant. So, you know, when you're next walking your dog, Rosalind, have a, have a look around and think this was a, a seething bed of distillation and smuggling nerdy wells. Yeah. Yes. Certainly not like that now. Just before lockdown, I got the chance to visit the ancient woodlands in Perthshire and harvest some birch water and then sample it with the lovely founders of Brick and Tree, Rob and Gabrielle. Well, we have a little taste. Is that yes, okay? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. That's lovely. Is that made from the wood? Birch wood, nice. So we've got a lovely wooden cup here. And you're right, it does look just like water. So it's just called birch water. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hence the name. Oh, it's nice, yeah. It's it's very subtle, but it's it tastes like it definitely quenched your thirst, which is a weird thing to say, it's, but it's got like a nice refreshing, obviously it's cold. It's really clean. Yeah. It's really, and it, that's what birch is doing as well, it's cleansing your body, you know, it's really rehydrating and replenishing, revitalising it. You really feel it even in the taste. Mm. Yeah, completely. I can imagine that this would definitely help a hangover. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we move on to the best bits from our themed episodes. Scran has not shied away from celebrating a theme or two. It's arguably the most patriotic day of the year in Scotland. Back in January, we had a Burns Night special. Mark Thompson, brand ambassador for Glenfiddich in Scotland, joined us in the studio and recited an address to the haggis, and he didn't miss a beat. But I've recited the poem in many places. People will often just get me to say it just because it's fun to listen to. Because you can. Because I can, yeah. <laughs> and then you fancy a drink at the end of it. Well, typically, yeah. So, because you can... Can you recite the toast for us? I can indeed. A fair for your honest sonsy face. Great chieftain of the pudding race. Abon them are ye tack your place. Pinch, tripe or theorem. Well, are ye wordy or a grace as langs my erum? The groaning trencher there ye fill. Your hardies like a distant hill. Your pen would help to mend a mill in time o' need whilst through your pores the dews distill like amber beat. 
his knife. See rustic labour dicht, and cut ye up ready slicht, trenching your gushing entrails bricht like ony dicht, and then, oh, what a glorious sight. Warum, reeking rich. In horn for horn they stretch and strive, deal tack the hindmost on they drive, till all their wee swelt kites belive are bent like drum. And oh, good man, mist like to rive. Mm. We thank it, hums. Is there that o'er his French ragout, or olio would stow a sou, or fricassee would mak her spew wee perfect scunner, look down wee sneering sconfivu at sick a dinner? Pear devil, see him o'er his trash, as feckless as a weathered rash, his spindle shank a good whiplash, his neve a knit, through bloody floods or fields to dash, ugh, how unfit. But mark the rustic haggis fade, the trembling earth resounds his tread, clapping his wally neva blade he'll mack it whistle, and legs and arums and hedge will sned like taps a thistle. Ye powers wa mack mankind your care, and dish the mutter bill a fair. Old Scotland wants nae stinking wear the jobs and luggies, for if you wish her grateful prayer, gi her a haggis. Thank you very much. That's great. There you go. Thanks. And how could we forget Valentine's Day? Journalist Caitlin Dewar joined me in the studio to discuss if it was a day she loved or loathed. As I've said, it's Valentine's Day quite soon, which is one of those uh, days that either love or hate. Do you have any strong feelings either way on Valentine's Day? I don't have any particular feelings on Valentine's Day either way. I'm not in a relationship at the moment, but when I was, I didn't even celebrate it then. I think there's a lot of pressure on one day for couples to celebrate their love when uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. There can be lots of different times, places, reasons that people celebrate, but it doesn't necessarily need to be 14th of February. Yeah, and it's, I think a lot of things, there's a lot of money spent as well. It's not just like flowers and balloons and whatever. It's going out for these meals and they can be quite expensive and they probably will be pretty good Like if you pick the right place, but it might get booked up quite quickly. So, yeah, I'm the same. I've I've always been sort of not anti-Valentine's Day, but I wouldn't go out of my way. And I've actively said to my boyfriend, let's just not bother. Although we are going out on the 14th, sort of inadvertently because I've got a voucher to spend. <laughs> so I am that person who's been really tight and going out for dinner and not really paying for it. So I'll be good. It's just the expectation around it all, I think. People build it up so much and it can be disappointing, I think, if you're if you're really looking forward to something that doesn't happen. What I always found as well was the uh, Marks and Spencer's Valentine's Day meal deal was brilliant. It was something like a starter, I mean, a side, a dessert, a bottle of wine and some chocolates and you could just treat yourself to that and have a really nice night in. <laughs> Stick it in your freezer. Yeah. Have it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I think I'm right. Well, I think we both agree on that then, Caitlin. Scran hasn't been without its humour. When discussing the stereotype of beer drinkers with Beer Without Beers founder, Amelie Tassin, we may have forgotten the elephant in the room. That is Sean Murphy. How did you come up with it? The name's brilliant. How did you come up with it? <laughs> I mean, the stereotype in the craft beer kind of industry is usually the white man with beard. So it was kind of a like a joke about that. We not the stereotype of the craft beer drinker. You, we are m- women. We don't have beards, so it's beers with a beard. I know that everybody's looking at me. <laughs> you said that. I so. wish you were to say you're a man with a beard. Would, would, exactly, would, exactly the stereotype. <laughs> what do you think of that then? No, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, we've wrote about it a little bit before, and I was actually blown away by the concept because I do think that it's really important for women to be able to give in spaces where they're not 
patronised in these things. Sometimes the best ideas are born out of unfortunate situations. Like Oriental chef Jimmy Lee shared the backstory of how his gluten-free menu came about. And one of the things that can also affect your business would be um, dietary requirements. But on the way in, I saw that you've got a dedicated gluten-free set menu. How did that come about? Oh, the gluten-free set menu, that, that, that's a, there's a funny story behind that. Probably about five years ago, there was a girl that came in and every time she came in, she would be unwell and then she would tell us about it. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, every time I would, I, I mean, I think it was about the third time where I totally 100% was adamant and sure it couldn't have been our food so but from then she came in another day after that I think it was a, I think it was the fourth time she came in and says actually it wasn't your food I've just been diagnosed as being a celiac so I need to eat, have gluten free dishes so I actually sat with her and we devised the menu together and then that that's the rest is history with the gluten free menu uh, not a lot of Chinese places or restaurants or takeaways do it but we do it now because we've devised a menu that's catered towards the, the celiac uh, the celiac and the, the people that want to eat the gluten-free dishes. On Scram, we've always tried to make sure that we can learn a thing or two about food and drink. I've chosen some of my favourites so far. Alcohol has been a big part of the podcast. Here is Fizz Feast founder Diana Thompson providing some tips on learning how to taste wine. But first there's a clue. It doesn't involve drinking large quantities at once. So what advice would you give someone who is looking to find out more about wine? Um, I would say... Try and remember what you taste. Try and write a few notes down if you like, or certainly take a little photo. Um, I mean, everyone's into that these days with Instagram. Take a photo of it or even ask other people to take a photo of it, put it on Instagram and say, have you tasted this? But try and remember what you've tasted. Remember what you like. Go to wine fairs, come to Fizz Feast or Edinburgh Uncorked and... And it's great. The exhibitors are going to be there. Lots of lovely exhibitors from Waitrose, Lidl, smaller producers, Bellissimo Vino in Edinburgh and Appalachian Wines as well. And numerous other ones that, who are really happy to talk to you and, uh, and want to talk to you, want to improve your wine knowledge and share what they love with others. And off the back of that, so obviously people are going to come to these things and taste wine. What are your top wine tasting tips? Uh, don't, don't taste too much <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> If you come along to a wine fair, there are spittoons there. I know people aren't used to spitting, but it's really important. We'll have, at Edinburgh Uncorked, we'll have over 100 wines there. So, so taste different wines and try and spit, spit out to begin with. And then you can go back and drink the wines later. So, um, but otherwise, if you end up drinking all the wines that you try, you'll forget what you've tasted and it'll be... Yes, you'll, you'll have, a, have a good time, but you'll forget the wines that you really enjoyed. So, um, yeah, take it easy and be responsible and spit the wine if you can. And, uh, and then you can yeah, go back and, uh, and enjoy them later as well. Still on the alcoholic beverages, but moving from wine to whiskey, author and whiskey consultant Blair Bowman tells us how you can develop a well-versed whiskey palate. Can you teach yourself how to taste whiskey properly just on your own time? And- yes. Definitely. And it's just something that takes a bit of practice. And again, uh, during my experimental phase, as I'm now calling it, which I'd never thought about that I had before, um, I, I did a lot to kind of improve that. So it was when I was living in Spain, um, I lived near a local market, just a kind of generic kind of uh, fruit and vegetable market. And every week I would go and visit and go around and just smell stuff. And I think they thought I was mad. So I was going, over, I was going around picking up you know, different types of grapefruit, different types of apple, uh, different types of citrus, orange, and so on. So then I could start to make that association. So, for example, like the difference between a blood orange and a normal Seville orange, and a, you know, and so on. 
So then when I'm tasting and writing tasting notes, what I'm doing is I'm, it's almost like a kind of a game of guess who kind of in my mind is thinking, you know, is it a citrus? Okay, what citrus is it? And then taking a zoom in and thinking, right, let's say it's, you know, grapefruit. Is it a white grapefruit? Is it a pink grapefruit? Is it a red grapefruit? And zooming in and just constantly kind of gradually narrowing down and then thinking, you know, is it, you know, has it been char grilled? Has it been, is it ripe? Is it underripe? Is it, is it with something else? And, and so on. And that's how I kind of get narrower and narrower to then think, yes, this is exactly it. It's, you know, pink grapefruit that's been kind of caramelized, for an example. Um, so it's something you can definitely practice. And initially, a lot of people think all oh, whiskey tastes and smells like whiskey. But when you start to really break it down, just take your time. Um, and the other really important thing to remember is there's no wrong answers ever. So if you smell that thing that you think you're smelling, then that's great. And if someone else with you doesn't smell that, then that's not a problem. It's just that they've got different kind of set of flavors and experiences. And the way that we smell and taste things is purely based on our own our own experiences and our own flavors. Continuing with the jams, Master Blender, Rachel Barry, joined me in the studio for a whiskey tasting. So I am now lucky enough to be doing a, a tasting with Rachel and we've got a Glen Glassa and a Glendronach single malt here. So will we get started? <laughs> yeah, I think well, I think we should start with the the Glenglasa out at sea. It's uh, Glenglasa is obviously on Sandem Bay in the northeast of Scotland, right on the on the coast. And I'll just pour a dram for us both, and uh, then, then I can introduce you to it. Thank you. There we go. Now we've both got a dram. This this one is um, batch two at uh, 44% and it's non-chill filtered and natural colour so everything is natural you know just like being on the shore where the distillery is um, right on the beach and and what makes this one special is obviously it's Glenglassa so it is a beautiful balance of land and sea that's what Glenglassa is really all about per mari per terrace is our are seeing, which means by sea and by land. And with this one, I've used a range of different octaves. And if you wonder what an octave is, it's a very, very small cast. So it's it's one eighth, hence an octave, of the size of a of a butt, which is five hundred liters. So so this is one eighth of five hundred liters, which is about sixty five liters. I'm in size, so just a baby cask and put different octaves together from different types of previous use. So from virgin oak to sherry wood to um, to bourbon, etc., have been combined. And I think this really brings to life the character of Glenglassa. So let's see what we find. When we know it's whiskey, you obviously have a quick look at the colour first because your eye always goes first before you, you dip your noses in, use all your senses. And you can see that the swirls on the, the side of the glass, looks like the waves, just enticing you, bringing you in. And then when you nose it, just the first thing we would do would be to, to nose of whiskey before we taste just because your nose is doing most of the work so 90% of what you taste is actually from your nose so uh, and you would find that out if you you hold your nose and at the top and um, take a taste and and, and then open your you know take your fingers away and you'll notice that it really does change how you perceive the whiskey so uh, nose first oh and that takes me straight to sand Bay. did someone say Jenna Clogg Hamish Martin, founder of The Secret Herb Garden, shares his creative gin pairings that you can try at home. On a separate note, I think probably the gin I'm also very, very proud of is we've just done one with the RSPB. It's called Wild. We launched about two months ago. The story of that means so much to me. So this wild gin has, has juniper in it, but nine other botanics that most people would probably perceive as weeds, but they're not. They're beautiful, indigenous, Scottish, wild 
immensely flavoursome botanics. And so we've now produced this gin, which I adore. So I'd have it served with ice and tonic. It's fine with a slice of lemon, but actually better than that, go out and get a piece of uh, nettle or sticky willy or cleavers or something that, you know, is a little bit wild and put that in for gin and tonic. Now time for something a bit more wholesome. I chatted to Rob from Birkenshee about how to harvest some birch water. Can people do this themselves um, if, you know, they had a birch tree in their garden or nearby is it something they can do or is it a bit kind of complicated no it's not complicated at all it's it's very easy you just need to get the timing right so you just watch out for little signs in springtime early spring early march usually when the buds start to swell a little bit and the birds are coming back and you drill a small hole in the tree you can put a garden hose in plastic hose into a plastic bottle and just see what comes out of the tree at that point you need to taste it to make sure it's tasting good it should taste have a silkiness to it and have a just a very very slightly sweet um taste after taste. And how could I forget to mention Nick Nairn, a friend of the podcast, when discussing some culinary tips. Here's an exclusive tip that's not yet been released on the series about how to poach a perfect egg. To get the perfect poached egg, you need the perfect egg, which means the egg has to be fresh. Eggs denature as they get older means they get runny, which means that they'll never poach properly if they're not fresh. So a pile of water, bring it to the boil, about two tablespoons of white wine vinegar, pinch of salt, um, as soon as it's boiling, turn the heat right down so the pan is not moving, not trembling. Break the egg into the water. You don't need to swirl it. And the secret is just to hold the, the shell above the water, and you'll see there's a strand of egg white still attached to the shell, and that holds the shape of the egg together. And, um, and then poach it for about three and a half minutes, take it out and either serve it straight away or put it into iced water and then you can reheat them again 24 hours later. Moving on to the most telling parts of the podcast, the quickfire rounds including Desert Island Jams, My Life in Food and the new quickfire food round have delved deeper into guests' relationship with food and drink. Here are my top picks. David Cochran, Chief Executive of Hit Scotland, gave a very detailed and articulate Desert Island Jams at Eusebius Deli back in February. I think it'd have to be a champagne to start with because I think you can celebrate with champagne and you can also commiserate with champagne so I think uh, something nice just to settle you into your desert island would be good on the champagne front then I'd have to move to it was a tough one between wine or gin actually I think of white wine I think a chilled white wine might just stick with the, the champagnes and then onto white wine for my coconuts or whatever I'm going to eat. I don't know what you said I could eat on the island. <laughs> um, but then I think I'd have to finish with Royal Loch Nagar whiskey. Uh, have a royal, very full-bodied whiskey as the sun goes down and uh, maybe contemplate what I'm going to do the next day because uh, I don't know what else is on my island. So I might be thinking about how I'm going to get back to the mainland. But uh, <laughs> I've had some champagne, some white wine and some uh, whiskey, uh, probably in that order. That would just be perfect for me. Jason Clark, founder of Genius Brewing, revealed what light cheese really reminds him of. Uh, and finally, we have some quickfire questions, which are all to do with food, um, if you're ready. If you just think of the first thing that comes into your head as an answer, okay? So whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Oh my God, you completely got me there. <laughs> the first thing I was thinking to eat when I'm hungry, she, uh, toast. Okay. Comfort food for me is... Pasta. My favourite childhood dessert is... Oh, Angel Delight. Oh yeah, God, retro. I've not had that in ages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my age there. Uh, my food heaven is? A really good Indian. And my food hell is? Lychees for some reason. Just don't like lychees. Yeah, they've got the texture of like eyeballs. I was going to say a different kind of balls, but yeah. Yeah, that's it. 
Hamish Martin of the Secret Herb Garden shows he's no longer a party animal with these answers. You're in a bar at 1am, what drink do you order? Well, apart from a taxi, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do 1am anymore. Oof. Whiskey, a blended whiskey to finish the evening off, definitely. If you knew it was going to be your last ever meal, what would you have? Oh, give me my oysters, lobsters. Uh, but if it was my last meal, I'd probably try and make it, you know, span out as long as possible before they, before they had to do the execution to me. James McSween, Managing Director of McSween's Haggis, and Scott Monroe, Head of East of Scotland Region for Marks and Spencers, learned that when it comes to food, they are more alike than they first thought. So now we're on to the My Life and Food section, which is a quickfire question round, if you can answer the first thing that comes to your mind. And I'll just ask you both, so if you want to just jump in. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. So what food brings back memories of childhood? Haggis, Neves and Tatties. Mints and Tatties. A lot of tatties on the go here. <laughs> if you had an hour to cook a meal, what would it be and why? I would do a pasta dish with meatballs and a tomato ragu. It's a dish I cook frequently with my kids at home. Love it. I think myself and James are just finding out we're more similar than we probably thought before we came into the room here. I would definitely do a spaghetti bolognese. I'd do a sensational spaghetti bolognese. James Withers of Scotland Food and Drink may have unintentionally shown his age with these vintage food favourites. Uh, so finally, um, I've, we've got a whole set of new uh, quick fire questions for this season. Okay. Um, so if I'm going to ask you, uh, we've got five questions right. and if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your oh, head, we get, of your, <laughs> we get an idea of your uh, relationship with food. Um, are you ready? Yeah, okay, go for it. Okay, whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Cheese. <laughs> I thought it might be that. <laughs> Comfort food for me is... Oh, crisps. I'm a sucker for a bag of crisps. My favourite childhood dessert is... Oh, that's a tough choice. That's a showdown between Vianetta and the Arctic Roll, which probably shows my age. Oh, classics. <laughs> um, my food heaven is... Oh, it's, it's steak again. I'm back to steak. I think it's a good Scotch free steak, with a, probably with a pepper sauce. And my food hell is? Oh, no. It's just terrible. There's some shellfish that isn't good for me. So, uh, and kippers. I tell you what, I used to work in a hotel when uh, when I was young, and I used to do the breakfast shift, which meant I had to be at half five in the morning, and the smell of kippers ever since then cooking in the kitchen has made me feel unwell. So I would say kippers with a profuse apologies to anyone out there that's involved in kippers. It's, it's quite a, a smell to be smelling it early in the morning. It's not good. It's not good. And when, you, when you're the age I was, and you might have had a couple of drinks the night before, it was enough to just about to feel over the edge. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, that's all we have time for today. Those are some of my best bits so far from series one and two. I hope that you enjoyed listening back to these moments. And if you haven't heard those clips before and you quite enjoyed them, you can listen back to some of the previous episodes of Scran. They're available wherever you get your podcasts. Plus check out Entail, which is an interactive platform filled with links, pictures, locations of places mentioned and so much more. Thank you to everyone who has rated the podcast so far. Please give me the golden five star review. Like any chef and foodie, I'd appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. This is a Laudable production that's been presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre. 